Aljazeera podcast. Winter is coming. One of the movie line greats, yeah? But also possibly a real-life mega event this year. You see, last week's decision by OPEC Plus may have got you ready to bundle up if you live in America and Europe. And if you live in oil-producing regions, well, you might be expecting to benefit from rising energy prices. Well, let's break it all down, shall we? OPEC Plus, what is it? Well, it's an alliance between the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and other nations, including Russia. So OPEC, with Saudi Arabia as its biggest oil producer and Russia, decided to slash production of crude oil by 2 million barrels a day starting November. Hello everyone and welcome to Essential Middle East Podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. The group announcing they'll slash output by 2 million barrels a day. That action is expected to send gas prices higher after weeks of decline and it's sparking immediate new concerns about inflation. Cutting production with high inflation globally and the war in Ukraine means some are quite worried there'll be less oil and more demand as we enter the winter. If that scenario comes true, well, you could end up paying more dollars or euros at your local gas station. The US is angry at the decision, and President Biden is vowing there'll be consequences. We should, and I am, in the process when the uh, House and Senate gets back, there's going to be some consequences for what they've done with Russia. What kind of consequences? Menendez says suspend all arms sales. Is that something you'd consider? I'm not going to get into what I'd consider and what I have in mind, but there will be consequences. Let's dissect all the reasons behind OPEC's move then with our oil market and energy expert. Hello, my name is Nikolai Kashanov. I'm a research associate professor at the Gulf Studies Center of Qatar University. And I'm joining you today from Doha. And we're delighted to have you with us. Nikolai, let's start with the obvious question then. Why did OPEC make this big cut? This question is much more complicated than it seems. We definitely can distinguish two groups of reasonings. The political one, which is probably exaggerated in terms of its importance, and economic. The Gulf countries, on the one hand, they're definitely concerned with the unpredictability of the market and with the fact that it might be oversupplied from the short-term perspective. The, secondly, they are also concerned about the price level because for the last three weeks we saw prices uh, falling down and they were definitely falling way below break-even price in the budget of some of the OPEC Plus members for the next year. Well, hang on, let me jump in there, Nikolai, because you said two really interesting things. Everybody's worried, or a lot of people are worried about the markets running low on oil and you're talking about the market oversupplied. Indeed, we should be prepared to the fact that in the next year we might face oversupply because there are too many negative factors affecting the market, starting from uh, definitely the contraction of the economic growth under the pressure of the Putin's invasion of Ukraine that we see, for instance, in Europe, and ending up with the uh, negative COVID impact on the oil demand in China that all be happening. So basically you're saying the world might slow down economically and need less oil and we'll be stuck with a lot of oil on the market. That's what OPEC's worried about. 
Absolutely, but not only. It's also worried with the fact that we have some black swans that can appear. For instance, we don't know what the Iranian nuclear this year is going to end up with. If sanctions are lifted, Iran may come to the market with something about 1 million barrels a day, officially, on the top of the current production. Plus, we have Libya with a very unpredictable output prospects. In addition to that, we have Venezuela. And as we all heard, the U.S. government is thinking about actually leaving certain limitation on the exports of Venezuelan oil, which is also adding to the market and adding to the pressure on price. But is it that Washington's focused on the short term, analysts looking at the long term and medium term? I would put it in a slightly different way. The Gulf oil producers and OPEC producers, they are thinking in the long term. When we come to the Washington DC, they are thinking in the short term and politically. So for them, it's much more important that this decision was taken shortly before the elections in the US. And this will definitely be a serious political slap in the face of the current president office. And this might negatively right. affect what's happening domestically. But for the OPEC oil producers, it's more about economy. It's more about long term. And political thing is just like a side effect, which of course is important. So what's the bottom line? How are people's pockets going to be impacted in the short term? In the short term, we definitely should see what happens in November, because we should also keep in mind that to a certain extent, OPEC is trying to embellish its capacities to affect the real balance between demand and uh, supply in the market. They officially told you that we are going to cut oil supplies by 2 million barrels a day. But in reality, the OPEC plus is not producing more than 3.6 million barrels a day that it should produce according to the current quotas. So as a result, the taking all the distribution of the production cut, we'll see actually no more than 1 million barrels of oil a day disappearing from the market, which is just 1% of total oil consumption. Nikolai, let me break that down layman terms. For those of us, you know, we don't wake up and have coffee over oil prices every day. What you're saying, basically, if I'm following your thread correctly, is that OPEC is already not meeting its production targets. So this 2 million barrels per day cut might not actually be a 2 million barrel per day cut in the target if we're not meeting it already. Exactly. Basically, OPEC Plus is a big gambler. And this gamble is implying a certain lie about your capacities and about the cards you have in hand. De facto, when saying 2 million barrels a day, OPEC Plus was mostly counting on the psychological effect on the market from it. But as a matter of fact, the physical impact will be way lower. So that means uh, we, of course, we might expect prices going three digits in the short term, but it's not going to bring them to the high with a very high speed or with the skyrocketing speed. And one interesting thing, when you look at the data, since July, kind of, I think the middle of July, all prices have actually been falling, not rising, at least until OPEC made the latest cut announcement, right? I mean, you look at the data on Brent blend, it went from 110 down to 84 US dollars a barrel. So does the data support OPEC concerns that oil markets were oversupplied and heading for more price decreases, not increases? Yes, absolutely. We roll back and we see what the OPEC Plus was trying to do for the last three months. We could see that on the one hand, they tried not to scare the market that much. And actually, they even tried to add up 100 thousand barrels a day on top of their production. 
you know, three months ago, which was, of course, a kind of a nominal and marginal gesture towards the United States, towards the producers, that we are not going to scary. But mm. the deterioration of the situation in the market left no options for them but to act. Of course, from my point of view, this action could have been taken one month later just to avoid the political impact that we have now. But we also need to take into account that we have Saudi Arabia and Russia ruling OPEC. And both of them, they have some personal reasons for creating an extra problems for the United States. Again, I want to ask, what's the bottom line? The prices have started to rise up again from $84 a barrel. What does that mean for consumers around the world? Are they eventually going to see prices going up at the pump? Well, I would expect so. And how long will it last then? For how long? <laughs> That's a good question. And it's it always is, difficult uh, to predict oil prices, but I would say that <laughs> at least initially we'll deal with the shock from the OPEC plus decision. Because right now the prices, they are pushed up by the um, psychological that oil consumers have around the world. And we already see them stabilizing and stepping back down gradually during this week. So I'll, I think they will fall a little bit down. But the main impact we'll feel in November, then the cuts will actually start working. And again, I wouldn't dare to, Hersey, to make any exact predictions because too many other factors are affecting the situation, including, for instance, the decision of certain oil refineries in Europe to go for maintenance. Of course, it's not going to have a direct impact for 100%, but definitely it will shape the situation here. Here's what Saudi Arabia's Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, Adela Jubeir, told Fox News. Saudi Arabia does not politicize oil decisions. Oil is not a weapon, it's not a fighter plane, it's not a tank, you can't shoot it, you can't do anything with it. We look at oil as a commodity and we look at oil as important to the global economy in which we have a huge stake. The idea that Saudi Arabia would do this to harm the US or to be in any way politically involved is absolutely not correct. Are the Saudis, are the Russians, or maybe others even, trying to use oil as kind of a weapon for political reasons to get back at the US for something? I would be always cautious about speaking about oil as a political weapon. It's quite risky to use them only for political needs. Of course, if we take into account the Russian behavior, there is a certain political interest, and Moscow would definitely like to create an extra havoc in the oil market to add a political pressure on Europeans. Because of the war in Ukraine, no doubt, yeah? That's the motive for the Russians, right? What could the motive be for the Saudis, though? It's not only the war in Ukraine as such. It's, I would say, the sanctions that are supposed to be introduced against Russia. The sanctions that have already been introduced and the price cap that will be introduced in December against the Russians. Of course, they are not happy about it. Right. But if we are talking about the Saudis, here is the calculations are different. So for them, it's more still about the economy. They would like to enter in the European markets. They would like to maintain certain relations with the United States. What we need to understand is just that the nature of Saudi Gulf relations with the U.S. has changed with the gradual reshaping of the American presence in the Gulf. So it's not that close ties as they were before. So that's why we see certain room for maneuver. And of course, what happened between Mohammed bin Salman and, and Biden when he was making certain statements about the Saudi crown prince, it also should be taken into account as a factor. But that's the surprising thing, isn't it? Because after that visit, everybody kind of expected, or most people kind of understood that they're on the same page, the US president and Mohammed bin Salman. Now we're hearing the White House, as well as congressmen, saying that the Saudis are siding with Russia. 
my reading is slightly different. I would say that definitely they got interested in rising oil prices, or better to say, maintaining them in a certain corridor. But as a matter of fact, they were brought to this coalition due to different reasons. When, as I mentioned, for Moscow, it's more about putting pressure on the West, it's more about hiding the fact that actually the Russian oil output is falling. So we should not forget that basically Moscow is not going to physically cut its oil output because it's well below what the Russian production quota is. In the case of the Saudi Arabia, it's more about the economic planning. It's more about understanding that, for instance, if they allow the prices to fall down now, the interest in the investments in the new oil fields is going to fail in the world. And we'll see one day even a bigger crisis in terms of availability of oil resources. You're explaining things very rationally and economically. Why is it being understood differently in the US. Here's an angry response by Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna. The priority is to get gas prices low, and what we need to do is be very tough on Saudi Arabia. I mean, after all we've done for that country, uh, President Bush, the first Bush, defended them against Saddam Hussein, but made sure that they weren't invaded. We give them all of the weapons, 70% of their weapons. For them to do this to the American people is outrageous. And we should say if they don't reverse their decision, we're going to stop sending them weapons. There's even congressmen now who are talking about things like, hey, maybe we should review our security ties with Saudi Arabia, the presence of our troops or missile systems in Saudi Arabia and so on. When we saw this meeting with Biden and what was wrong, accepted by people as a certain consent, as a sign that the two countries are on the same page, it was just the signaling that both sides are concerned about the situation in the oil market. But the problem was that the reasons of these concerns for the Americans and for the Saudis were absolutely different. And the moment the situation in the market deteriorated, this difference became obvious. And the Saudis just said, OK, we're not as close as we were before, so why we should care about someone else? Of course, on the top of that, it was the understanding that we can also arrange for the Americans to abandon us on the nuclear this year or not taking into account our interests on the nuclear this year for abandoning us in terms of guaranteeing our security or attempt to abandon, let me put it in this way. And we can punish them additionally, but it was not a purpose. It was a kind of a side effect that was achieved. And the other thing, whenever I hear the politicians discussing here I mean, in the United States, in Europe, in Russia, discussing oil, I'm always recalling a good friend of mine who was always saying the problem with the politicians that they don't understand the economics and numbers. So that's why they are mostly concerned on the political ads, whereas sometimes the behavior is extremely pragmatic. The razor Occam is the most obvious as a way to understand the situation, to approach the situation. Some Saudi officials have pointed the finger back at the US saying, hey, you guys haven't invested in refining capacity. Any truth there? Of course, it's to a certain extent controversial statement, which has a certain background behind it. We see that for the last years, the world was too obsessed with the idea of sustainable energy transition and the idea that they should go away from using air polluting technologies. So that we saw the underinvestment not only in the development of the petrochemical industry, but rather in the development of the oil production as such. And these, of course, partially created the current crisis. The world was just not prepared to the fact that it's too early to speak about the beginning of the age of the sustainable energy. It will definitely start, but not today. 
They're also saying that they would like to start these discussions with Congress about any sort of legislation that could be put in place to prevent this from happening. And they're also just promoting as a whole this need that they say is urgent for the United States to be more energy independent. But in general, the timing of this really could not be worse for the president and his party, Savannah. Well, U.S. congressmen, as you know, I'm sure, at least some of them, they're talking about a NOPEC bill. How realistic do you think it is that we will see OPEC plus members lose their immunity in the U.S. and basically be open to being sued in U.S. courts? Definitely, we became one step closer to the implementation of NOPEC. That's for sure. And that's one of the serious effects that we can expect from the decision by OPEC plus to substantially cut oil output. But at the same time, it's still quite a long way that should be done by the U.S. legislation and by the U.S. president. Not to say that we don't know who's going to be in charge of the United States after the elections. And I guess this is also something that the Gulf players and the Russians, we should not forget about them as well, they are counting on. And again, we're talking about reasons. And as you correctly mentioned, there are lots of, it's a complex issue and there are lots of reasons that we're bringing us to the current stage. So is it causing a real rift then, do you think, between Saudi Arabia and the US? Is this becoming really a thing in relations? It will all depend on who is going to dominate the political scene in the United States. I guess there is definitely an understanding that there is a substantial problems. But at the same time, you know, when I'm comparing the dynamics of the political track that was for the last couple of months, we cannot see such a big actually rift outside of the energy dilemma. And I would say that we receive pragmatic forces in the U.S. government dominating after all these election cycles. But we might also see a certain improvement in these relations. If the current team stays in power, then definitely um, these relations are going to be quite tough and um, problematic. Though, frankly speaking, given the importance of the Gulf region for the global economy, I don't see the United States pulling back militarily. For them, it's one of the leverage that they want to keep on, on the ground. That's what they were declaring for quite a time. The move is being seen as a big setback to the Biden administration just before the midterms and as a salve to Russia, helping it raise its oil revenues and support its invasion of Ukraine. Do the Saudis, does OPEC have to think of domestic politics, even if it's in a superpower like in America, when they're making their policy? For sure, this factor was taken into account when the decision was made. Well, they don't seem to feel that way, do they? If you listen to what the White House spokesperson is saying, saying this is short-sighted, this is even Saudi Arabia siding with Russia. Given those tasks that Saudi Arabia has in terms of a domestic economic development, political development, I don't think that they can afford being a short side. I guess that there was a certain understanding of all pros and cons. And there was a decision that basically the Saudis were faced with a choice. They are either funding election of Biden by cutting the oil prices and increasing the oil supplies, or they, on the one hand, maintaining their leverage of influence on the market. We should remember about the spare capacity that the Saudis should keep 
just in case something happens. And they are funding their own domestic economic programs. So we should not forget that currently Mohammed bin Salman challenged with the question of uh, the successful or unsuccessful implementation of his own programs related to diversification of the economy that might have a direct impact on his future as a king. And of course, choosing between the two countries and remembering what was said by Biden, he made the choice in his own favor was the logical decision. All right, you made a good point there. We do have to take a break now, but we will be right back. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. What happens then if we take the, an alternative scenario, if all the black swans don't take to flight, if there aren't major disruptions because of Libya and Iran and so on, is there a possibility that the oil market will be severely starved of oil and prices are going to go through the roof? In this case, I guess OPEC Plus will have to get involved. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to preserve actually the spare production capacity that they can bring into the market. And it's not like my invention or it's not like the speculations by market watchers market analysts, but actually it's uh, almost openly said by um, the heads of the industry in Saudi Arabia and OPEC plus countries, they are all saying that we cannot afford bringing all what we have now because the market is unpredictable. And if tomorrow something happens, it will be us who will be responsible for its stabilization. Again, there is a wrong perception of OPEC plus as a cartel which is interested in bringing prices as high as possible. No, that's not how the industry is working. And there is a clear understanding that the higher prices are, the more risks of their falling down growing as well. So what OPEC is interested is interested in first and foremost in the stability of the certain price corridor. And partly right. this price corridor is determined by the break-even uh, price in the Saudi budget and the budget of other members. For the Saudis, it's something about, if I'm not mistaken, $86 per barrel for the next year. So that's a psychological threshold that they would like to keep in terms of the uh, lowest level of the price corridor. And they will be do whatever they can to maintain it. Another bill released by three Democrats yesterday would remove 5,000 troops from Saudi Arabia and the UAE and remove defense systems too in the wake of the decision. Well, in the wake of the latest cuts, a statement from the White House called for additional tools to reduce OPEC's control over energy prices. What does that actually mean? What kind of tools are they thinking of? They, of course, can always use the oil reserves that they have, strategic oil reserves. They've already been releasing oil from the strategic reserves, haven't they? And that's helped to control things it's a question bit. about the volume and <laughs> in the way how it was done it was not helpful at all so i would like not to speculate here because i will need to put ahead of the u.s policymaker but i guess that's one of the ways for the improvement of the situation would be the reassessing of the american domestic policies towards their own oil producers because since the rise of biden <laughs> in the presidential seat 
we saw him being quite tough with his own oil producers who could also play a role in stabilizing the um, situation in the oil market. And there is a lot of criticism towards it because uh, while being tough on his own producers, you know, he is trying to mobilize available oil resources in other countries and export and import them. For instance, there is a huge debate right now in the United States about this idea to let Venezuela return to the market in order to help the United States to cope with demand in oil. And from my point of view, it's also quite a signal that domestically there can be a loss to be done inside of the United States or even inside the bigger North American continent. Because one of the main decisions, for instance, to ban the construction of pipeline that would deliver extra hydrocarbons from, from Canada. And it would be much more eco-friendly, for instance, than bringing this oil from South America. That's one thing. Another thing, as I mentioned, is working definitely with the alternatives, alternative suppliers. And also, we should not forget that the world is currently trying to test a very dangerous thing, putting a cap on price of one of the leading oil producers, Russia. And I guess that's where indeed Russia and Saudi Arabia can side together, because for the Saudis and other OPEC Plus members, it's a kind of a warning signal that if consumers manage to use or will manage to use it successfully against Russia, and I honestly don't believe that they, it will play out well, they one day can come after us. So that's where we might see them working together in trying to offset this. But of course, the statement by the White House showing that all cars are on the table right now. Again, the question is what they are going to use and what they are just going to threat with the usage of. It sounds like you're saying, though, the U.S. could really end OPEC's control or limit OPEC's control over the oil market if it wants to, yeah? No, I don't believe that it's possible right now. Of course, I don't have a crystal ball, but we are talking about quite a huge number of the countries involved in the oil production. And if such a measure is taken, this will lead to the further instability in the oil market. And that's the most dangerous thing. It's even more dangerous than the fall in prices or in the rise in prices, because that's something that we can understand as a trend. But when the market becoming unstable, it's hurting the interests of all producers and consumers. So, and such a bold move will definitely have a quite a negative impact on the stability of the market. And it's also make the situation even more unpredictable. So mm. that's why, for instance, this decision to put a cap on, to put a ceiling on the price of Russian oil was not that much welcomed around the world, relatively how the countries are seeing Russian activities in Ukraine. Do you think Russia will try to exploit any rift between the Saudis and the Americans? Oh, there is no doubt. They will do it. I would agree with those who are saying that the Russians are the main gainers from the current situation. And Moscow is very good at exploiting exactly the rifts between the United States and other countries. So right now, Moscow will definitely be showing that it's a loyal ally of Saudi Arabia, which is not the case, as we discussed. But of course, it will also be used by the Russian propaganda around the world. And we all see all these statements by pro-Russian analytics, experts, or Russian propaganda machine. So this will definitely be exploited as much as uh, it could be and to put an extra psychological pressure on the Russian opponents. All right. Amazing. This has been a really good chat. Thanks for discussing with us. I think it's really clear now what OPEC is doing and why it's doing it and what the price might or might not be. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Professor. You're most welcome. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by Salam Eliafe. Research was done by our intern, Nada Shaker. 
got to mention our sound designer too, George Ulwir. And our engagement producer is Ayel Malik and assistant engagement producer Munira Dosari. Omar Saleh is the executive producer and Al Jazeera's head of audio is Ney Alvarez. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Hold up. 